Welcome in to Revealing Grace. This is a podcast focused on the revelation of God's redeeming grace throughout all of Scripture and the power that it has to transform lives eternally. I'm Chris Sobach, and in this episode, Dr. Brian Chappell will be joined once again by his wife, Kathy. Now, this is the second in a series of three episodes focused on marriage and parenting. In this episode, we will continue investigating Ephesians 5 and the role of wives. And when discussing submission, who is the wife directed to submit to? And what does that submission look like? Early on in this episode, Brian breaks down this passage in Ephesians and gives such a detailed and clear explanation of what the Word is saying. And this might be a little different understanding than what you've heard in the past or has been taught in some cultures. I so enjoy hearing from Brian and Kathy and seeing the love and respect that they have for each other in their marriage. There are some great stories and illustrations in this episode to help us all understand better the role of wives in a God-honoring marriage. So let's get into it. Here's our discussion of Godly Wives. Well, Brian and Kathy, welcome again to this episode of Revealing Grace. Um, So last episode, we talked about husbands, and this episode, we get to talk more about wives. So I'm excited to to see what all we get to discuss today. So thank you both once again, Brian and Kathy, for being here. Thank you, Chris. Glad and to be here. You kind of know what we're going to say because you heard the sermon already. Well, that's but. true. That's true. But the <laughs> listener might not know what we're about to say. So. All true. Um, but... The thing that I don't know is I'm going to ask a revealing question here. So I don't know the answer and you don't know what the question is. So uh, the revealing question for this episode is if you could only have one dessert, that's the only thing that the only dessert or sweet treat that you could have for the rest of your life, what would it be? Chocolate cake. Chocolate cake, like a specific chocolate cake? I have uh, a daughter-in-law, Suzanne, and we call it Suzanne's Special Chocolate Cake. And it's just loaded. It's got chocolate chips. It's got sour cream. It's got this fudgy chocolate icing. Yes, Suzanne's Special Chocolate Cake. All right. All right. And Brian? Uh, Mint chocolate chip ice cream. Okay. Okay. And they, those two go together. See how well suited we they, are. That would be perfect. See that that does work out nicely. I feel like maybe you had an answer prepared somehow. <laughs> but so so for me, I think I think that I would pick something different for if like my favorite dessert versus if there's only one thing that I could have because you could get sick of something that like is really good every once in a while. So for me, I would we I make this. Um, it's a, just basically like an almond butter cookie, but it's. It's just really good, simple, but good with like coffee or tea or just, you know, you can have like one or two after dinner, but it's not heavy. I don't know. But that that is honestly probably what I would do, which I know sounds kind of boring, but. <laughs> Compared but, to chocolate. Well, does, yes. I have to say. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. But that is my answer. So, all right. Well, from those important answers and important discussion to uh, maybe something a little bit more important. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, last week. Um, we were discussing husbands, and this week we were discussing wives. So um, I guess one of my first questions would be, what do you think are some of the reasons why people might have reservations when it comes to the idea of submission? The word that you just said, submission. (laughs) So, I mean, we're not foolish, and we certainly addressed what we recognized are common misperceptions in the culture and even in the church about what that word submission may mean. And because of those 
um, what should I say, the stereotypes, and also, how do I say this, taking the wife's role and separating it from any responsibility for the husband even makes it worse. So you have this word that's misunderstood, and then it's used abusively when you separate it from the responsibility of husbands, which should be the lens through which a wife's role is considered. So I I think both. I think taking it out of context and then uh, letting our culture determine what the word means rather than letting the Bible determine what the word means. You know, Chris, we, a number of years ago, got a new puppy and um, took little Callie to the first several lessons with a dog trainer. And the first thing he had us do was flip this little puppy belly up on my lap and then hold onto her front legs until she stopped squirming. And I was to do that multiple times a day so that that little dog would learn to submit to me. And uh, as I mentioned on Sunday, several years before that, we were doing a marriage conference and a a very well-dressed professional woman during question and answer time, she was the first hand up and I called her on her and she said, I don't care how lovely you make this sound, submit is something my dog does. And so that is the kind of the go-to understanding of the word submit if you don't look at it through the scriptural lens. Hmm. So speaking of the the scriptural lens, if we were to read that passage, you know, there are a few different phrases that I think um, can maybe hang people up a little. So I thought maybe we could discuss that briefly. So, you know, it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I think that that's a big one that that can really um, make people wonder what exactly does that mean. And then later, uh, toward the end of that passage, uh, in verse 24, uh, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Um, So maybe, Brian, you could address some of that. Um, What exactly are we referring to when we say, as to the Lord? Well, I want to back up because the beginning verse says, wives submit to your own husbands. Hmm. So there is sometimes a misconception, even in the church, that all women are supposed to submit to all men, which, how do I say, there are parts of the world and certain religions in which that would be true. But that is not what Christianity teaches, nor what the Bible is saying there. Submit to your own husbands is opposed to what is sometimes called the notion of general headship, which is that all women submit to all men, and it's specific headship. That is, it's saying, wives, submit to your own, not to every husband, Hmm. but to your own. So there's a relationship with your own husband that is described in the context of the instruction that is given to that husband. Of husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So that command to women is perceived through the lens of a man who is giving himself sacrificially for the sake of her. So that that whatever the command is, it's in the context of a husband who is sacrificing himself for the good of his spouse, and then the instruction to her is, submit to your own husband, not to every husband, to the one who is sacrificing for you, as Christ did for the church. And then, of course, we have to say, well, 
what what does that mean? We got to take every word to your own husbands. Okay, um, submit. What does that mean? Hupotasso. I said again, two Greek words put together, which means arrange under. It does not mean suppress everything. Okay, so if your husband is sacrificing for you, then take the the gifts and the blessings that God has put into your life and arrange them under the purpose of his good, of his responsibilities to you. And that was why we went to the Proverbs 31 passage, that the, the godly wife that is so praiseworthy that her husband rises up and call her, calls her blessed is the woman who every day of her life does him good. So how is she doing him good? And we looked at those lists of things that she does and you recognize that just as he has sacrificed for her, that his leadership is dedicated to her good, not his privilege or pleasure, but for her good. So she is arranging her gifts for the good of the husband. And it says, in everything. And you say, all right, why does it say that? Well, it could be, so no exceptions. But it could also mean there are not areas of your life that you say, now my husband doesn't count which ultimately is separating the marital oneness that God intends. So instead of saying, oh, boy, there's no wiggle room here, instead it's saying, you know what? It's, it's not like you create these closets or these fences in your life where this relationship is allowed to break down. So you are submitting to your husband, okay, arranging your gifts for the good of the one who is sacrificing for you, that means you are fully expressing your gifts for his good, not restraining them, so in, in everything. And, and that means that you're not creating fences of, well, I'm not going to honor him in this part of my life. Not there. Instead, it's maintaining the relationship everywhere. And then finally, the question you asked, sorry, I didn't forget, um, as to the Lord. Now, there's two ways of taking that. One is, as though he is the Lord, which is not the way Paul uses that phrase, uh, as is most, most clear in the very next book of the Bible in Colossians, excuse me, the, the very preceding uh, book of the Bible, where he says that you are to work not as unto men, but as unto the Lord, so that you are offering your gifts and graces in offering to the Lord, in blessing to the Lord. And that means if a husband is requiring a wife something that is evil or abusive or self-destructive, that if the wife's saying, I'm arranging my gifts as unto the Lord, you're saying it has to be what is good and right and just and honorable, and no one can be required to do something that would not be appropriate before the Lord. So it's not saying your husband is the Lord. Hmm. That, that would be idolatry. Rather, it is saying you, you present things as though you were presenting them for the Lord's good and the Lord's purposes. And that's a very different understanding than bow down and worship your husband. It's instead yeah. saying, make everything you do honoring to your Lord. Hmm. So you were kind of already addressing this, but you know we're going to be influenced by our culture naturally, and there are all different cultures, but how? what sort of advice would you give to someone to be able to distinguish between what maybe a cultural or social norm is um, when it comes to marriage versus what maybe the biblical mandate or truth is? So we are often uh, at pains 
to have even Christian couples consider these words outside their cultural or even church stereotypes. Mm. So we have to say, what are the principles being established? A husband is using his leadership for the good of his spouse, and his wife is using her gifts to support him in that effort to honor God. And if now you start to say, well, what does that mean? Who holds the remote? Who takes out the garbage? Who drives the car? Who sits in the driver's seat? You kind of say, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> so what, what we recognize, there are probably as many expressions of these principles as there are personalities and couples. And this is not something that the, a checkoff list, it's, it's bringing your hearts to the relationship and before the Lord and saying, as I'm a husband, how do I lead my family in a God-honoring way? And a wife saying, how do I do everything I can with my gifts to support my husband in that role? He's giving himself for me. And you know, the, the missionary I think we cited who said, I, I, I have no trouble uh, supporting my husband because he respects me so. And if, if those things are in place, then these, I think, are worked out in the living of a marriage rather than in a checklist off of somebody's uh, marriage manual. And I guess I want to throw in, you and I haven't talked about this in this context, Brian, but there are seasons in which that will look different. And so the way um, our, our daily tasks, you know, Brian said, who takes out the garbage, who holds the remote— when my children were little, our lives looked different than they look now. And when I was the choir director in our church, our lives looked somewhat different then too. So um, you're, you're talking about the basic, the, the principles and the respect and honor you have for one another has to determine as you move through the seasons of life and your family changes and grows, um, things aren't always going to look the same as they did the first year you were married or the fifth year or the 15th year, but the basic principles remain the same, even if the details tend to change with the seasons of your life and health of the partners um, or health of the parents of the partners. Seasons change things but they don't change the principles. Hmm. Um, are there different people in your lives, maybe either in the past or even now, that you feel have kind of modeled uh, a biblical marriage um, that has just been like a good example to you or someone that you can turn to? Well, uh, you know, we, we've given various examples. I'm, I mean, I think uh, Kathy's mom and dad did a great job of this. In some ways, honestly, better than my folks, and we've been pretty honest about that until late in their marriage, and my uh, parents both had kind of a, a wonderful gospel reawakening that changed mm. how they related one another, and um, power and influence over one another really gave way to trying to honor one another, and that made tremendous differences in their marriage, in their happiness, in their uh, ability to uh, get along. But, you know, there are others that we have, we've talked about, uh, you know, as we see... Um, at different stages of life, uh, we think of the Rayburns, who we uh, cite in the book, who, you know, he's a very powerful man, 
in some ways, she was a very powerful woman. But as as his health gave way, she did everything she could with all of her gifts, not only herself to honor him, but to keep other people honoring him. In other words, she was using her gifts to keep supporting him, as Kathy said, at another season of life. Even as, as I, we recognized, as they were raising numerous children, he did everything he could to give her strength and support and respect so her kids would treat her the same way. And uh, I, I think we learn from different people at different stages. And uh, sometimes negatively, we learn from people too. But uh, who, who else are you thinking of, as I say? Well, going back to my parents, I, um, our oldest son said to me recently, he was reminiscing about my dad and mom, his grandma and grandpa. And he said, I just love the way when they walked down the street and I would walk behind them and they were holding hands. And he said, I love that even in their late 80s, they were just so in love with one another. And I was delighted to hear him say that. I also knew that she had a bad knee and a bad hip. And he was uh, keeping her from wobbling down the street. (laughs) He also had macular degeneration, which meant he was navigating with his peripheral vision. And so she was his vision. But it, but it was not obvious to anyone. What was obvious was their devotion to one another, where she would take the receipt from the waitress and talk about you know, the expense or the bad lighting in the room, but she would be feeding him clues how much money he needed to pay. But we didn't know that. We didn't know that he couldn't see the receipt. But she was maintaining his honor with her ability just as he maintained her honor by steadying her on that walk down the sidewalk. It's like they were they were literally having to be one, you know, each bringing their own gifts and, exactly. or weaknesses and, and supporting each other. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. It's, it's amazing to also the perspective of if you know, you know, some of the backstory versus if you don't, like, it's still, I think, a similar sort of message, but um, but just from a different perspective. So that, that's really interesting. Um, you know, in regards to your guys' marriage, Brian, you had mentioned, and I've heard you mention this before, that your ministry has been able to grow um, in, in part because of the way that, that Kathy has been able to support you and you've worked together. Um, so are there some specific examples of you seen how that's kind of played out? <laughs> Oh, sure. Um, so let me just say, in the, in the Lord's blessing, I, I think from a fairly early stage of life, we've had fairly responsible positions in the church. But, but that means, uh, you know, the tall trees get the wind. Um, you know, you're an easier target and you get pressed maybe uh, in ways that you would never have anticipated. And I think particularly before we had learned, I mean, we kind of thought, oh, everybody will be happy that this young couple kind of has these positions and these responsibilities. And and we did not recognize that can make you not only an easier target, but a consistent target. Hmm. And so I, I think for me to know, it doesn't matter what those people are saying. I got Kathy. <laughs> and and Kathy is saying she loves me and she respects me. And, and really, because we're doing so well, that, that where I'm taking some hard hits maybe in my position or my job to feel, how do I say, I can sleep at night, I, I, can, I, I can rest, I can go home and feel supported 
and get up with strength and ability to face the next day. And uh, th- those are important. I mean, there have been some tough times. We've had to make some tough decisions. And uh, I know you can't imagine this, Chris, but, you know, there are people who would just uh, not, not think very kindly of me and our positions <laughs> at various times. So you can't imagine that, can you? No, um, <laughs> not at all. No, not at all. <laughs> and, and, you know, to say kind of like, but I got Kathy, hmm. you know, and, and I don't, there are times that I don't know if I could have kept going or, how should I say, kept returning to hmm. the task without the security I had in the Lord because I, I had absolute confidence in her support of me and that she would be there for me. And that was his provision that I needed through her. Um, you know, every marriage is going to evolve over time. How has maybe even your perspective of this passage of scripture or um, your relationship kind of evolved um, throughout your marriage? <laughs> She's pointing to me again. Um, <laughs> I'm, so, just, I'm just reminiscing. You're taking it all in. This. Yeah, yeah. No, I see. I can see. I can see your eyes. I can see that yeah. um, you taking it in and your eyes watering at times as you're thinking about different stuff. So, yeah. So, um, I mean, we would say when we were first married, my definition of um, husband headship was I needed to make every decision for us. So, you know, um, where we lived, what we drove, uh, how often we went out, what toothpaste we got. Um, you know, I was making decisions for two lives. It, it was exhausting. Mm. <laughs> and yet I felt, well, I'm the head of the home. I'm supposed to be doing this. And not recognizing that headship, if it is spiritual leadership, is helping another to thrive because that's what Christ does with his church. And yes, spiritual leader, spiritual leadership takes the lead in seeing that a family honors God. You're not saying, well, you know, if my wife will take the kids to church, uh, if, you know, if she wants to, we'll do devotion. No, it's, you know, a godly husband takes the lead in seeing that we are honoring uh, the Lord in the aspects of our lives. But part of that honoring the Lord is helping another person. Remember the language there of Ephesians 5 is helping your spouse to be radiant before the Lord, splendid to know the grace of God in her life. And that means you're trying to help somebody else thrive, not just control them. And that's the the misdirect, as it were, of biblical headship, that this means I have to control your life and keep you pressed down. Instead of saying, no, 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 how did Christ treat the church? I mean, that's the example. He's He's helping it to flourish and know its radiance and know its goodness. And so he's using his leadership for the good of the church. And I did not understand that. And mm-hmm. and it wasn't until I saw some damage that I was doing in Kathy's life, whom I love and love then, that I said, that I, I am not thinking of this right. I need to read the scriptures more, not ignore the scriptures. I need to read the scriptures more closely. What is the purpose of the spiritual leadership if it really is the model of Christ in the church? So we have our, our older three children are very close in age. And Brian was working very hard um, as the president, well, first the academic dean and then the president of Covenant Seminary. And so I was home with those three closely aged children. And I don't know, Chris, the truth is sometimes children bicker and sometimes they misbehave. Yes, they do. I'm discovering that. (laughs) (laughs) And there would be times that I would crawl in bed at night and just cry and say, all I did all day 
was scold and break up arguments and clean up apple juice spills. And, you know, I used to play Bach on the flute and now I'm changing countless diapers and he would comfort me and encourage me and you can do this, Kathy, and you're doing a good job. But the, the time I remember is at some point when he took our older two children out for a walk in the yard and basically said to them, and if you don't honor your mother, you have a problem with me hmm. because she is my wife, she is your mother, and I am for her. And it was my kids that told me that he said that. Hmm. And, and they have referred to it different times and, and referenced how, um, as children, you know, it made a certain impression, but now as married adults, it has made a, a different kind of impression that they began to understand what it is to be a husband. So hmm. I love it. I love that you did that for me. <laughs> I love that too. And, and I don't remember it, so I'll take her word for it. <laughs> so um, as we, we kind of wrap up, I, I'm i wondering whether it's thinking of maybe advice you would have given your younger selves or, or maybe there's someone who's either about to get married or has just gotten married. Um, what's maybe uh, a word of advice you might give uh, a young couple doesn't even need to be young uh, in age, but maybe in their marriage as to um, something to th- to think about or, or some way to, to frame um, the way that they interact with each other as they embark on their marriage. I'll, I'll start, give Kathy time to think. So again, not advice for me, but uh, an, an older man, an elder in the church when, when uh, we were younger, I was still a pastor and uh trying to learn how to counsel people in their marriages. And um, he counseled many people in their marriages. And I said, well, you know, why, why do people usually struggle? And anybody who's in pastoral ministry understands, you know, the, the big issues. Money's always number one. You know, sex is one there, one of the high ones. Um, it, it's child-rearing, how to handle your in-law. You know, they're, they're kind of standard things. But he said, he said, Brian, he said, honestly, what I face most of the time is couples who have not been able to get over the little things. He left his shirt on the chair again. Um, why does he squeeze the toothpaste from that end? Um, why, why can't he come home for dinner earlier? And, I mean, when you talk about people who sweat the small stuff, he said, honestly, the biggest things and the most consistent things that couples fight about are the things that are cliches that you think anybody would have learned to handle. But because they're struggling with other things, honoring one another, living for one another, it's the little things that trip them up and get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because they can't handle the little things. And when he said that, I've, I've thought to myself numerous times, am I just being a cliche again? Am I upset about the toothpaste? Am I upset about where the car keys are? Am I upset about, come on, Brian, don't be a cliche. (laughs) You know, there are bigger issues in life than this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it's kind of don't sweat the small stuff. But I did. I really did. And I had to have an older man say to me who was trying to counsel other people about the big things, you know, how do you counsel? That he said, you know what? It's the little things that the couples argue about that accumulate that become the big thing. And that 
that helped me. It helped me deal with the idols of my own heart. You know, of am I really tripping over the toothpaste when there are much more important things to be concerned about? Okay, so often when we when we discuss this with, particularly when I talk with women, and the question is, what if he doesn't deserve it, or what if he's not a believer? You know, does that give me a pass? Does that give me the right to hmm. leave him? What you know? What if he's ugly to me? And okay, so we knew this woman um, in a church we were once members of, and Brian's family had known this couple um, when Brian was younger. Uh, I'll just use her first name, Laverne, and her husband, whose whose name was Cappy, who's a captain of police force called Cappy. Laverne and Cappy were married when they neither was a Christian. And some years into their marriage, when they had small children, Laverne came to know Christ. As she would always put it, she fell in love with Jesus. Laverne loved Jesus, and she loved Cappy. And she wanted Cappy to love Jesus. And so as um, often new Converts will, you know, be on fire to um, convince others. She wanted to convert, convince Cappy, and he would have none of it. He was a hard-talking, hard-drinking, rough, tough police captain, and he um, did not want to know. And and she pestered and whatnot, and he uh, responded by doing things like on Sunday mornings, he did not want her to take the children to church, so he would unset the alarm so that she would oversleep. Uh, He would make fun of her in front of the kids for wanting to go to church. He would lock her out of the house as they came back from church. He was doing all kinds of um, things to um, keep her from enjoying Jesus. And um, on the advice of some godly women, she began to pray for him. And she asked her good friends to pray for him. And she continued to take her kids to church and study the Bible and just drew closer and closer to Jesus and pray for Cappy for 40 years. Mm. We didn't see Cappy at church. We didn't, you know, we just knew, please pray for Cappy. I just want him to love Jesus the way I do. Well, after 40 years, when they were both quite elderly, there was a Thanksgiving service, Thanksgiving morning. It was time for prayer and praise time, and different people stood up and praised the Lord. And And there was Cappy in church. And at one point, he stood up and he said, Thank you. I want to praise the Lord. I want to thank the people of this church for their prayers because I, too, now love Jesus. Hmm. Cappy lived for another year or so before he died, and Laverne now is with him in glory. Her prayers for 40 years how often she must have been discouraged, but she relentlessly prayed. And now Cappy's eternity was Mm -hmm. impacted by her prayers. Did he deserve her devotion? Probably not. But they're together with Jesus, the two of them. And um, I thank the Lord for for Laverne's witness in my life and her witness of prayer. But, but to your earlier question, Chris, not because he was worthy, but she was living 
as to the Lord, right? She was doing it for the Lord's sake, yeah. not not because he deserved it. And that's that's important for us to maybe a, a parting word. If if you wait to honor and support someone um, until they deserve it, you're never going to do it because nobody deserves the kind of honor that Christ is calling for women to express. It's only Christ who deserves that, and it's for his sake that we live for others that they might know him. And and that's honoring him more than it's honoring the person. I really hope that you've enjoyed this discussion with Brian and Kathy. I know I have, and just appreciate their hearts. If you are interested in hearing or reading even more from them, I encourage you to check out their book. That's Each for the Other, as they mentioned in this episode, um, and I think in the previous episode as well. So I encourage you to check that out. That's Each for the Other. It's available wherever books are sold, uh, but also you can find it at brianchapel.com. Now, if you head over to brianchapel.com, you can find so many different resources, uh, whether it's sermons or illustrations, various videos, audio clips. Uh, We've recently introduced some new multilingual resources as well. So there's teaching from Brian in multiple languages. Uh, So there's just a lot for you to to check out. Um, Also, if you're looking for additional training, you can check out the online courses section. There's some exciting new stuff happening there as well. If you've enjoyed this podcast or have enjoyed any of these episodes, I really would encourage you to hit the subscribe button. That way, you'll make sure you won't miss out on any new episodes. You'll be notified as soon as they are released, and it helps us out as well. So I I really would encourage you to do that. And if you have any questions for the podcast, uh, just in general or specific questions about episodes, you can send those questions or comments to revealinggrace at brianchapel.com. As I mentioned, there is one more part to this series. We will be discussing parenting, and that will be in the next episode. So I encourage you to come back, check it out for the next episode of Revealing Grace.